The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this week. We thank you for the safety in which we've come together today, even in the the San Diego rain. We know that it's been a tough week across the nation with some tragic events out there, Lord, and it can seem very hopeless. And we thank you that this season we get to remember the hope that you gave us, that you gave us your son to live and die on that cross. And we just thank you for the faithfulness of women in ministry. We thank you for the faithfulness of Elizabeth and Mary and the active role that women are filling now in our congregations and helping change the the world around us. So we thank you. We encourage you, Lord. We pray for uh, Pastor Scott as he just seeks to illuminate the text today and focus on the centrality of the scripture. We thank you. We praise you, Lord, and we say these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelsey. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see all of you braving the rain and the freezing cold weather once again. So tough. Some of you laugh, but some of you are like, you're right, I was brave today. Some of you are watching this on YouTube right now going, I didn't come out there in that weather. Hey, it is good to see you, and as we celebrate this season, the season of Advent and the coming of our Lord, Today we're going to look primarily at the faith of Mary and Elizabeth, two faithful people in the Bible who are related to each other that God blesses considerably for their faith. The scriptures actually, uh, most people traditionally think they're cousins. They might be, but they might be, the Bible really just says they're relatives and maybe they're third or fourth cousins somewhere like that, but they are connected and it's a great story. And if you're watching the news, you realize that it is a mess out there, that oh, almost every Sunday we could get up and talk about some tragedy that's happened somewhere in our, our country of violence, and we see chaos around the world. We live in a time of history where this isn't supposed to happen because we are the most educated we've ever been, right? We are the most wealthy we've ever been. We have the best technology ever. Scientific understanding is growing exponentially, and yet it's all a mess, And the reason things are a mess is because we live also in a culture that is also called the post-truth culture. We live in a post-truth era. Fake news, fake news about fake news. You never really know what's real. There are different narratives for different things on different channels and all of it may not be true. So what do you do? The world is in philosophical chaos, even religious chaos. And people believe what they wanna believe based on what feels right to them. There's a word, and it was coined by a comedian, but it became a real word, it's called truthiness. And the idea is that we tend to believe something because it just feels true, it's truthiness. There's a certain truthiness about it, so I guess I will believe that. And that's how a lot of people come to faith in whatever it is they put their faith in. It seems true to me, so I'll just believe that. It's truthy, sounds good. That's the world that we live in. And this is not really new. 
It's the way of the world and it leads to disorder and despair because some things are actually true. You can't change them, they just are. And there are the ways that the world works, the way we interact as human beings, that are, there are ways that are good and ways that are bad, that's just true. And there are consequences that flow from all of those things. In the New Testament, we see that there is a narrow path. It's one that many don't wanna follow, but it is the way, the truth, and the life. All of that is wrapped up in a person named Jesus. Jesus is the answer ultimately to all philosophical and religious questions that human beings have been asking. And that statement I just made today is highly controversial because I'm proclaiming that as truth, not truthiness, but something that is real. But it's hard in a post-truth era. So Merry Christmas. Thank you. At this point in our story, as we, as we talk about Mary and Elizabeth, and if you've been looking through the scripture, about 400 years at this point in the story have passed, and the people of Israel, what they've been doing uh, is they haven't been hearing from God anymore. There hasn't been any new prophets, there hasn't been any new apparent word from God, but they've been rebuilding their culture, rebuilding their city, their culture and religion. But the problem is it was very hollow. God's presence wasn't there. It was not the same as it once was. Everything was pretty empty. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is because the people's hearts were not pointed towards God. They liked their religion and practicing it. And they liked the culture that they were in. They didn't particularly like the Roman culture and things were added, but they liked the religious culture that they were developing. They had lots of religious and political debate, different religious sects. There was Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and different groups like that, and they liked it. They had their own architecture and they enjoyed that. They even got King Herod to build the temple. But for the most part, they weren't obedient and humble before God. The last prophet in the Old Testament writes a series of confrontations in the book of, from God in the book of Malachi, essentially bringing closure to the judgments that were upon them in the Old Testament. But when Malachi shuts off, the calendar keeps moving. 400 years of history, no voice of God, no prophets. But history still shows even during that period of time that God's providence is still working. Because as promised in your Old Testament, God preserved a remnant of people who would still be faithful, who are still trusting in him to bring forth the Messiah, that the Messiah that God had promised would one day come, a remnant who still trusts God, and they trust the foundation that God has laid all throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament and all the prophets and books that they had. They still trusted in that God. And the first point, thing I want to point out today is this, is that God gives us a foundation for trusting him. We are not asked to simply have faith in something where there is no evidence for it. We aren't even asked to believe just the testimony of a few witnesses. History itself is a witness to what God has been doing and how God keeps his promises. Malachi in the Old Testament, it ends this way in chapter three, verse 16, 16 and 17. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves them. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And then chapter four, verse four, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before a great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a 
decree of utter destruction, end of Old Testament. For the next 400 years, things that the Old Testament predicted were still coming true. A remnant did persist. The Greek Empire would take over and subjugate Israel. The Roman Empire would come and subjugate Israel. In the book of Daniel, it talks about world history and all these empires that were yet to come. One is still yet to come, if you want to be interested in that. And 400 years later, this remnant is clinging to hope, and the Christmas story is talking about these people. And suddenly, God is heard from again. Maybe you didn't realize that, but when you read the story, there are actually two Christmas babies. Did you know that? One gets all the attention and he deserves it, and he's the most important. But there's actually two babies that are prophesied, two babies that are part of the story, the Christmas story. One of them is born of Mary in Bethlehem, the city of David. There are officials who come searching from him to pay homage and respect. And they come from long distances to bow down to this baby. You might have noticed the Christmas decorations are in here, some outside, it's just really nice, it's festive. We have a uh, nativity scene out in the lobby. Have you seen that? Did you notice the wise men aren't there? That's because they weren't at the manger. So we take them out and we put them over here on that shelf right over there. You see them? That's the wise men. They're, they're on their way. But they're not gonna get there for about two years. They'll just try to keep things biblical as much as we can in the decorations. They come to pay this little child homage and respect because he is seen as the true heir to the throne of David. The New Testament begins with a genealogy in Matthew. It's like Jesus' Ancestry.com account. It's right there. You get to see some amazing things. And the New Testament, like the Old Testament, keeps track of these things for a really good reason. The New Testament, like the Old Testament, is placed in history. And the New Testament story it recognizes historical figures like Caesar Augustus and King Herod, just like the Old Testament discusses ancient kings like Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Xerxes, and more. All these are real people. that you can, They've dug up all kinds of stuff to point to who these people are. The story of God is rooted in the real history of real life. And the, the ancestry of Jesus is right there so that we would know that he is the throne to an actual kingdom that actually exists. There's a second, in fact, King Herod, King Herod wasn't Jewish, but he called himself King of the Jews, and he liked the title, but he was so jealous. He decided to kill Jesus, if you know that story. Mary and Joseph and Jesus have to flee to Egypt to avoid this. There's a second baby, though, that's born as well in this story, actually born first. And this baby is born to Elizabeth. Both of these babies are born to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. Both of these babies are announced by an angel both of these babies will, will grow as, into men and they will be executed. One, John the Baptist, will be beheaded and his head served on a platter. The other one, Jesus, will be executed on a Roman cross. By this time in history, the Romans had mastered execution by crucifixion. But through their lives, through their callings, through their coming about into the world, God's promises were made and they were kept. And history keeps moving towards God's will and through God's will. And see, when we're asked to trust God, he's proven himself time and time already. We're not asking anybody to trust God, a God that hasn't proven himself, a God that we just have to think, well, maybe he's out there, maybe he's not. We have a God who has been active in history since the beginning. This is our God. And we have a foundation of trust with the living God. Mary and Elizabeth had this foundation. 
the remnant of Israel who was living at the time, they had this foundation, they had their scriptures, they knew that God was keeping his promises. He kept his promises that were made to bring, back, bring about the Savior, but he kept other promises that were made that if you don't do this, I'm gonna do this, and they didn't do this, and God did that, and God kept the promises. That's why they were subjugated under all these other governments. They knew that God keeps his word. And knowing that, it is there that we realize God gives us opportunities in our lives to put our trust in him. God gives us opportunities to trust in him. Baby number one, the husband of of Elizabeth, his name was Zechariah, and he was a priest. Now, if we go back a little bit earlier in the book of Luke, we see how John, his son, is announced by the angel. At this time, the Jewish priesthood was divided into 24 different divisions, and each division of the priesthood was required to go to the city of Jerusalem and serve for two weeks in the temple every year. So you get to go about once a year for two weeks, and it was a privilege to be able to do that. It was great. And then once a year, the only exception was during the high holy days, all the Jews had to go to Jerusalem. Everybody went to Jerusalem, and it was huge. The city grew enormously in population, uh, kind of like San Diego during Comic-Con. You know, all of a sudden, it's just huge, all these people here. And it was an amazing party, probably like Comic-Con, people dressing up as their favorite Old Testament heroes, a bunch of Moseses over here, a bunch of Abrahams, Goliath on stilts, you know, walking around. Jay Eel with a tent spike and a hammer. Read your Bible. You're missing out if you're not reading those stories in the Bible. The Bible is great. Read it. Amazing. And at that time, 24 priestly divisions come to Jerusalem, and they take turns at the temple, sending in representatives to the holy place in the temple to do the sacrifices and and burn incense and do the stuff. And they would go in twice a day to the holy place and light incense while people outside would wait And what would happen is while they're burning the incense, smoke would rise up and people would enjoy this and get a great feeling from it because the symbol was that the people's prayers and their worship was rising up toward God. And it was a great part of this festivity. Well, one day the lot falls on Zechariah, a faithful priest, and he goes in to burn the incense. In Luke 1, verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. That's what would happen, okay? But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb." And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Does that part sound familiar? It should, we just read it. And you know what? Zechariah thought it was familiar too because he knew the book of Malachi. He knew what was promised. And all of a sudden, he's being told by this angel that God is picking up the story right where he left off. Can you imagine? And he's to name his, his baby John. John means the Lord is gracious. And the Lord was gracious to Zechariah and Elizabeth by calling them into this thing. It's important to know the meaning of names. John, the Lord is gracious. I have a son named John. I have another son named James. James is older. James and John, sons of thunder. 
they're really named after like grandparents, but we recognize the Sons of Thunder thing and they'll be okay in the end. Uh, some people think I named them after presidents, like there's not any presidents named John William or James Theodore, only half the presidents have one of those names. But John means God is gracious. And Zechariah knew his Old Testament. He knew that this verse was pointing to this forerunner of the Messiah. He understood it. But then he does this in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, well, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife has advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. It's a little turn. You don't really expect the story to go that way with Zechariah, but it's what happens. The angel says, hey, you're gonna have a son. His name will be John. And he says, you know, what are you talking about? I'm really old and this is kind of impossible. I'm too old to reproduce and, and my wife is feeling kind of tired these days, you know? And the angel, and he's basically asked to be given a sign. God doesn't like it when we ask for a sign. He hardly ever responds well when people ask for a sign. And you know why? It's because, first of all, he wants us to trust him. He wants us to have faith in the relationship that we have with God. But also, it's because God actually gives us a sign all the time, but we just don't see it. We get caught up in, oh, that's impossible. Well, that really couldn't be God. That really can't be happening. We get so focused on what is not possible that we can't see the miracles before us. I mean, Zechariah is asking for a sign and he's talking to an angel. What do you need? Why do you need more than that? And so the angel says, okay, here's your sign. You can't talk. Six months later, during Elizabeth's pregnancy, the same angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. She's engaged to Joseph at this time, a descendant of King David. In Luke 1, verse 30, this is that conversation. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? She's not asking for a sign. She just has a biological question. She's taken 101 in, in class somewhere. She understands. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. This is Mary's response. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. You know, the angel appears to Mary. She's very young. She's probably high school age, most people think. She has, understands the enormity of what's being said. She really asks one question, how is this gonna happen? Well, it's gonna be a miracle. And she says, okay. And the angel said, by the way, there's another miracle, your relative Elizabeth. Well, she's already about to have a baby and I know that you knew that wasn't really gonna happen and, and your son and hers, they're gonna be related. They're gonna be family. Well, Mary doesn't ask for a sign. She just decides to trust. Luke 1:38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. It's interesting, Zechariah, 
the smart guy, the priest, the guy with the relationship with God, right? The guy who'd studied everything, the guy who seems to know everything. He asks for a sign. He doesn't trust, but Mary, this child, really, she decides to trust. And she's not the only one. Elizabeth trusts, too. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried down, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Note that Mary trusts, or that Elizabeth trusts Mary's story. She doesn't question it. And her story is a little more incredible even than her own. Mary's story is a little more incredible, right? Virgin birth versus I'm just old and look what happened. She doesn't question it. She trusts and they rejoice. And just like what was prophesied before that the Holy Spirit would be in this child in the womb, the child leaps. John in the womb leaps when Mary walks in. When Christy and I were having our first child, and Christy was, we hit the ultrasound. It's James. I want to be careful. I'm not saying anything here. This just happened and we watched it. It was a great moment for us, okay? But we watched in the ultrasound James jump in the womb. Not saying James is any particular character, okay? Or nothing special, just. But we saw it and the nurse saw it. And I mean, it was so overwhelming to us to see, wow, that, we just saw what John did when Jesus and his mother were in the room. It happens. It's incredible. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary and Elizabeth had an opportunity, an opportunity to question God, an opportunity to say, nah, I don't think so. Nah, you can go to somebody else. Nah, I don't believe that's gonna happen. Instead, they decided to trust God and they were blessed for it. We don't spend enough time often talking about those two, in particular Mary. We get to hear more about Mary next week and there's so much richness to Mary's faith and who she was and why she was favored by God. Such a great story. There's so much error that's around that that we just kind of sometimes not talk about it, but don't miss what the scriptures say about this woman and her faith and how blessed she was because she put her faith in God. You see, God gives us great blessings for trusting in him. That's the third point. Who's the most trusting and faith-filled here? The priest, the religious, educated man, or his wife and the teenage girl? These women are. You see, God isn't looking for education or social status. He's not looking for some pastor to be closer to God than everybody else. It doesn't work that way. He's looking for our faith. He's looking for us to trust him. And he's given us plenty of proof through history, the preservation of the scriptures, his presence in our life in so many ways. There's a foundation for our faith. But he doesn't tell us everything that's gonna happen. How many of you know exactly what's gonna happen in your life? You don't. I heard somebody say, I know, my birth certificate has an expiration date on it, so I know when I'm gonna die. No, that's not what that date is, I'm sure it's not. We don't know. God knows. 
And so often when we say, God, what's gonna happen? His answer is none of your business. I want you to trust me. We have this example from Mary and Elizabeth. You see, sometimes we let our own ideas, our own intelligence, our own education get in the way of our faith. Sometimes we let what we think we've worked out rationally in our minds and how we've put God in this three or four dimensional box. It's just like us and time works like we think so and all this and God and we think we need to be able to figure it out. But that isn't what God is looking for. Sometimes we think we need some kind of further proof about God's provision because we think we're smart enough to handle it. But this isn't what God's looking for. He's looking for faith. It's not faith without a foundation of trust, but when we have the opportunity for faith, we will be blessed. Sadly, we miss the blessing of God so often when we decide that we need more information so we just don't act. We miss the blessing of God so often when because we just don't know how it's gonna work out, we just don't do anything, or we try it on our own, or we think we know something that we really don't. You know, every one of us, we will face circumstances in our life that we don't plan. Some of those opportunities are great that come upon us, and it's a wonderful thing, but we still don't know what God wants to do with it. A lot of those things that we go through are things that we would never plan for ourselves, and yet they are upon us. Will we ask what is God doing? Is he doing anything at all? Can we live a life of mystery and with a lack of certainty? It's the way life is, it's full of mystery. It's full of a lack of certainty. A great man once said it's like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're gonna get. (laughs) It's life. This uncertainty, this unsettledness, you know for so many of us sometimes it causes us not to act in faith oh, I won't let my friend know that I go to church because they might ask me something and I might not have the answer. Or maybe they won't even like me very much. And so we just stay silent. And then what happens is we miss the blessing of sharing our faith with that person that God has placed in our life probably for that purpose. We miss it. The great blessing. Studies show that most Christians have never shared their faith with somebody else. Do you know what you are missing? And the even greater blessing of sharing your faith with somebody and they say, you know what, I believe that too and suddenly you lead them to the Lord? That is the greatest blessing. And sometimes we don't go there because we just don't trust God. Like we're not thinking it that way at the time. But we might have great fear and we miss the blessing. I won't help this person in need because I'm afraid it won't actually help. And then we miss the blessing of obeying God and loving our neighbor and caring for people we don't know, caring for people we do. We miss the blessing that we get of that because we think, ah, it's not gonna help them, they're a mess. And then we miss the even greater blessing of actually helping somebody change their life. And God gets the glory for that. We miss that blessing when we will not step out in faith and do what God is calling us to do in the lives of the people that he's put in our life, our relational world, or even people where we just suddenly have an opportunity. I'm afraid to go into the promised land because there is danger, there is risk. Let's go back and be slaves in Egypt, the people told Moses. It's part of the human condition. If they would have done that, we wouldn't be here, right? The story doesn't work. There is no Israel. There is no kingdom of David. 
There is no Ancestry.com of Jesus. We would all miss the blessing. So often we won't do something new, we will not, and instead we will accept mediocrity and lose the blessing of risk and reward for trusting God. God wants to do so much more with every one of us in our lives to impact his kingdom, to impact history. You have no idea that the person that you share Christ with may not be the next Billy Graham. It could be anybody. Mary and Elizabeth are great reminders and they're reminders of something else, that Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. They knew it, the baby in Elizabeth's womb knew it. And often the hardest thing in our walk of faith is to trust God with that mystery because we just want everything explained. Mary and Elizabeth are trusting God for the course of their lives. Their lives would never be the same after this. So how you doing? When things don't really work out the way that you planned, are you trusting God with the mystery of where things are going? Or maybe you have an opportunity that's great, and maybe it is what you planned. But are you trusting God that maybe he has different plans for that opportunity you have than you think? Whatever it is, it's time to trust God and know something that God is with you. That Jesus' promises are real when he says, I promise to be with you even until the end of the age. That he has sent his spirit to actually be present. That we should pray that, to, not that God would send his spirit, he has. That we would pray that we are aware of God's spirit in our presence, in our lives. And what is it that God wants us to do? What is it that the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do in his name? We don't always know, life is full of mystery. But when the time comes, we will either do like Zechariah and try to work out the mystery and try to work out all the details and then we will miss it. Or we'll be like Mary and Elizabeth and trust God with a mystery and have tremendous blessing. The blessing is in doing that. Now Mary didn't understand everything that she was told and she was not without concern over things. Mary wonders, she ponders, she considers, she waits, she struggles, she listens, she prays, and she learns. But she fully trusts God. I think we all struggle with this in some ways. I struggle with it. I don't like not knowing. I don't like not having a clear path with different things. You know, I find out with myself that I am an amazing model of faith when I know everything which is no faith at all. When I know I have the best hand and I know I've done the math and I know how things will turn out, it's so easy to trust God. Give me all the details, then I will act in faith. But when I don't know what might happen, and especially when the worst seems likely, it is so hard. This is why we need to be aware of God's presence with us because the reason it's hard is somehow we start to think that it's all about us or that we're doing this on our own. That somehow Jesus didn't mean it when he said I'm always with you. That somehow the Holy Spirit isn't really there, it's just some religious thing we say so we just don't acknowledge it and we think it's all about us. And we can do ministry because we can go to work and we can learn the routines and we can do all the stuff. No, we need to trust that God is present with us. This is what Advent is about, this is what Christmas is about, the presence of God with us. 
What God does is he helps us realize that we are part of something so much bigger than whatever moment we think we're in. That we are part of his divine plan, the scriptures say. That we get to be a part of that plan to bring people into salvation through Jesus Christ. To be his hands and feet. To be the church in the world. And it's so much bigger than we think. And it's different than we think. Our failures in this life we think are failures, maybe they're not failures at all. Maybe they're wild successes because because of our failure, somebody comes to Christ who would not have come to Christ had we been successful at whatever. That's what matters. And our successes, maybe they are successes, but maybe they're not really successes in the kingdom of God. Maybe it's just worthless moments of idolatry and misplaced hope and we say, yay me. We wanna trust God and be a part of his story. In the story today, Zechariah is fixed on what is impossible and he misses the blessing. But Elizabeth and Mary are fixed on the God who can make all things possible. And they just say, okay. Zechariah and Elizabeth's promised babies, or Zechariah and Elizabeth's promised babies brought out on the eighth day of his life to be named publicly and circumcised. His name will be given, and it's a public event, and people gather around, and they're outside and they're saying, you know, his name will probably be Zechariah, probably name him after his daddy. And his name could be Moses, could be Aaron, could be David, Abraham, maybe Zerubbabel. We're always rooting for somebody to name their baby Zerubbabel. And they wait and Zechariah comes out and they say, he's been awfully quiet throughout all this. <laughs> and he can't talk, so Elizabeth, his wife, comes out and says, his name is gonna be John. Here's the scripture, verse 59. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. Mom said, did you ever have people question the name you gave your baby? Why did you name your child that? Why do you think it's your business? That's what they do to Elizabeth. And it didn't make sense to call him John because you would name them after relatives. That's what you do. And so they looked away from Elizabeth and they looked to his father because he's the decision maker, right? And it says, and they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called because he can't talk, so they've developed some kind of language, I guess. And then he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. John, there's no John in this family. Zechariah, who still can't speak, grabs his iPad and sketches it out. John, his name is John. Notice something, that when he trusted God at that moment and named his baby John like he was instructed to do, he was blessed. His voice came back, he was restored, and he blessed God. Are you hearing this message? And maybe you're saying, you know what, I have no hope. I haven't trusted God at all. I've been lousy. I'm always looking for proof. I'm always looking for more information and I just can't act. If you are, then maybe you're focusing too much on what doesn't seem possible. Instead, you need to understand that with God, everything is possible. And like Zechariah, when you repent, when you turn your heart to God, you can be restored today just like him. And you have your speech restored and your mission restored and everything you're called to do and be is restored. Trust the Lord. 
Is there any hope for the mess that our world is in today? Let me tell you where the hope is. Gospel of John doesn't exactly have a Christmas story, but it really does have a great Christmas story if you study it. And in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14, it's worth memorizing. Philosophers say that this is the greatest, the highest of all human thought, this verse. The idea that God of the universe would send His Son to come and be with us, to dwell with us, to tabernacle with us, to live in the apartment across the hall from you to be right here with us, that the word would become flesh and make his dwelling among us. The reason that's the highest of all thought is because it answers every question of philosophy. Why are we here and what are we doing? It answers every question of religion. Okay, we figured out that there is a God and there is Jesus. What do we do? We trust in him. And suddenly we have all the answers wrapped up in one historical Jesus. You see, the God of the universe wants to live with you. He wants to be with you, and he is the answer to everything. And no word from God will ever fail. He wants your trust. Trust that his word is true and that God will send you a savior, that that savior, his name is Jesus, that he died for you, that he came up from the grave promising everlasting life to all who believe. You see, historically, this happened. It's why we're here. People saw that and their lives were changed and then the whole world changed because of that event, the resurrection of this Savior, Jesus. What does God want from you? He wants to be with you. What does he want from you? He wants your trust. He wants your faith. Do you have a mystery, a deep concern in your life right now or a great opportunity maybe that's in front of you? Well, trust God with it. Are you afraid of what might happen if you follow Jesus? Trust him and do the things that you know Jesus wants you to do. And you will be richly blessed no matter what happens. For the believer in Christ, the worst thing that will ever happen to you for following Jesus is someone will execute you and then you'll go get to be with Jesus. For most of us, that's not even gonna happen that way. You will go be with Jesus later. Enjoy the blessings that you've been given. What can we apply to our lives? There's a couple of things, some takeaways. All of human history gives us a foundation for why we should trust God. If you're struggling to believe in God, go through history. That Malachi passage that I read from before, it isn't something that Luke made up. They found the book of Malachi in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's dated at least 200 years before this, written predicting exactly what would happen It doesn't prove anything, but it sure gives a lot of foundation for why we should trust God, that the people writing the Bible were inspired to write things that are true, because how many people can predict the future accurately? Nobody, except these guys, because they're hearing from God. Everybody else is gonna fail you, but God always keeps his promises, and you see that in history. Our lives are full of opportunities to trust God and he leaves the future a mystery on purpose so that we can rely on him in the present. Today you have an opportunity to trust God with something. Maybe it's your whole life, maybe it's a certain circumstance that you bring in here with you. Would you do this today? Take the opportunity to trust God 
and do something that you know he wants you to do, as scary as it might be. Take that step forward in faith and let God have it. Cast your anxieties upon him. Live your life for God. You know what the result is? Blessing. If you're not feeling blessed, it's because you haven't done that. And lastly, with God, everything is possible. So trust him in his word. Maybe you wanna trust him for the first time today. Here's what you need to do. You need to admit that you're not perfect. We call it being a sinner. Just admit it. If you don't admit to being a sinner, find somebody you know. They'll point out how you're not perfect. That's very helpful. If you're married, just ask your spouse. You are. The first thing is to admit that because then you admit that you need a savior, that you can't do it on your own. The second thing is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is that savior, that the reason for this season is that Jesus came. An interesting thing is we're at a little pin, Jesus is the reason for the season. You know, it is. What pin would Jesus wear? You know what it would say? It would say, you're the reason for the season. Bob's the reason for the season. Sarah's the reason for the season. Jack's the reason for the season. Your mother-in-law's the reason for the season. Mine's sitting right there. See, Jesus came to save you. I think that's why Christmas time is rigged in, in human history, or we can't get rid of it. Every culture celebrates it, and you got Santa Claus, and you got all this other stuff. Okay, but we can't get it off the calendar. We can't stop playing the Christmas songs. We can't stop hearing those lyrics. We can't stop the symbolism. It's because Jesus is for real, and he wants to save you, and he came for you. Believe that today. Admit that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. The spiritual angst, the spiritual guilt that you carry around with you, it's handled by Jesus, and it was handled on the cross, by the way. The reason it's weighty to you is because something needs to be done about it. It was done. It was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And then choose to trust him and follow him. It's easy as ABC. Admit, believe, and choose. If you want to do that this morning, would you come forward afterward and just talk to somebody who's up here to pray or come see me or come see Pastor Randall come, or talk to the person who brought you today and just say, how do I get to know this Jesus? We'd love to help you do that and love to help you trust in this Lord and Savior, this person who maybe today is advent for you, the coming of your Lord when you receive him this morning. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. We thank you for Mary and Elizabeth and the inspiring story that this is and their great faith. We thank you that that faith is not something that is reserved just for educated people or people who are in ministry as a career or people who just have been around longer, older or younger, but you make faith something that even a child can have that's as valuable as every 100-year-old person can have. We thank you, Lord, that we all come to you the same way by this faith. Whatever our background is, whatever our culture is, whatever our language is, we come to the living God by faith through Jesus Christ who died for us. I pray, Lord, that everybody here would know that and as we go out this Christmas season, we would recognize that that is why this is a Christmas season, to let people know. I pray that we would have confidence in you and trust in you that we would not worry about things that we think are impossible, but you want us to do. Instead, we would realize that you are the God of the possible and that we would step forward in faith and do what it is you want us to do. Pray for every person here that we would have that faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. 
Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.